Today on Blue 58, if you've spent any amount of time following the NFL draft, you've probably heard of relative athletic score. We talk about it on Blue 58 all the time, and we are not alone. But how did this commonly used metric come to be? We talk to the man behind it all. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode, and I am happy today to welcome Kent Lee Platt to the show. Kent is the creator of Relative Athletic Score, the metric that has become a crucial part of NFL draft coverage for so many people, me included. And I figured since we use the number so much, we might as well get a behind-the-scenes look at how this all came to be. And I find it a really fascinating subject. I hope you will as well. Take a listen. You have been working on Relative Athletic Score for a while now. We actually talked back in 2017 when things were just really starting to get rolling, it seems, for you. How did all this get started from your perspective? God, it seems like that's a million years ago now in 2017. So it it started uh, all the way back in conceptually in 2012, and then 2013 was where I really just kind of decided this was a thing I was going to do. Um, and it was always about trying to find a way to conceptualize player testing in an easy manner, something that was easy to understand. And I figured a zero to 10 scale would work. Everybody can understand a zero to 10 scale. Nobody's going to think a zero is a good thing. And if, it, if you have that zero to 10, then you obviously know that 10 would be the good one and five would be in the middle. Um, and it gives you just an easy way to look at player testing. Um, And when I started putting it into visual, it just made sense to do everything in stoplight color coding for the same reason. You know, everybody understands green, yellow, red, green's the good one, red's the bad one. So um, started putting all that together in 2013, 2017, I had a huge data update and that's when I first made an app for it. Um, And then started doing everything online. The website was launched in 2017, but it wasn't until 2018, 2019 that I really started doing stuff with it. Um, and how everything's run through the website now. And it's it's been a lot of fun uh, to put all this stuff together, and I'm hopeful to make even more fun tools going forward. What's your background that you would even think to do something like this? Because I think someone from, from my perspective, like I write, I, I podcast, stuff like this, this seems like something I would say, oh, yeah, that's nice to have, but I wouldn't know how to go about putting it together. What sort of tools and experience did you have that made that a possibility? Yeah, I was a cryptologist in the Navy. I worked on uh, coding and and all kinds of different different technical stuff there. And I'm also a very lazy person. Um, I like to do as little work as possible. Um, whenever I can do the same amount of actual work as someone else, but spend less effort on it, I feel like that's a success. Um, and I started doing a lot of uh, development work to do that for different day-to-day tasks, automating things from a procedural standpoint, finding ways to code things that otherwise we would have to do manually. Um, And that just kind of kept snowballing. I just kept figuring out different ways to do that. Um, Eventually looking at player testing metrics, you know, it it started up as just a lookup so that I could look up player testing and see where people compared. Um, Once I had that built out, it, it, okay, well, I'm going to make a score from zero to 10. So I built that out as something that I could look up, Uh, got too big. So I had to just keep coding and it just keeps getting bigger. I guess that leads perfectly into my next question. What have you learned and added in since you started? I know you said you're a lazy person, but this is not a <laughs> this is not a job for a lazy person. You've kind of roped yourself into something that's going to keep growing. So, what have you been adding in, or what have you learned? Yeah, it's 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 interesting because I didn't build it out as a way to like track progressions or, or track uh, you know tendencies from NFL teams, but it, it becomes pretty apparent when you start looking into what specific NFL teams like what different GMs like, what different coaches like, 
you start to see those trends, they start to stand out. Um, and I'm trying to build out more and more tools to help people visualize that. Um, you know, there's a couple of filters on the main table for Raz right now. Um, I built out a player or a, a team page that looks at the rosters. That's very much a work in progress, but hoping to have that finalized this summer. Um, I'm building out, um, I'm bringing in some interns in the next couple of weeks to help build out some more functionality to the site, which I hope will help it expand even further. So a lot of that will be automated. So you can look at, you know, individual team tendencies over time um, without me having to build out individual tables for everything. It'll all be automated. Um, same thing with statistics, you know, traditional statistics, receiving yards, tackles, sacks, those things. Um, I'm hoping to have built out a way to pull in all of that data so you can sort based on individual criteria and see how guys tested in specific areas even you know if I, i'm hoping to have built out as, as granularly as being able to look at you know players with x number of tackles who ran this 40 yard dash or below and that type of stuff a um, lot of lot of big ideas that i'm hoping to have built out but it's going to take some help so that's what i'm hoping to bring in in the next few weeks. So a big a big premise to relative athletic scores is that there's a, a pretty strong correlation between having a, a good or at least kind of like a baseline level score uh, and succeeding in the NFL. And what you're talking about there kind of really speaks to, to something I want to ask about. And has anything emerged from your data that shows things that you didn't expect? Maybe that, you know, just the way that NFL success and athleticism correlate. Yeah, I didn't expect it to be so harsh for some positions. Um, you know, when, when I first started building this out, there was very obvious standouts, specifically at wide receiver, because it's there's just so many wide receivers and it's more notable when a guy doesn't test well and still does well. You know, we had Anquan Bolden, Antonio Brown, Jarvis Landry. These are guys who didn't test well, but were very clear, very clearly good players, and they they did a lot of really big stuff in the NFL. I always expected that to kind of hold throughout every position. Like I expected when I, when I started really digging into offensive tackles, guards, centers, tight ends, that I would see those same types of things. Um, but there really isn't as, as very clear of standouts at some positions. Tight end is the most notable one. Um, I've talked several times about it on Twitter where, you know, there just aren't any examples of, of tight ends who didn't test well becoming successful in the NFL. It, it, they just don't exist. Um, I didn't expect that. I expected there to be, you know, a standout here or there, guys that, you know, fell under the radar or whatever, just like we've seen for other positions. Um, but we don't really see that for tight end. Um, and then we have other positions like defensive tackle where there's different types of defensive tackles and they very much stand out when they don't test well, nose tackle being the obvious one. There's a huge difference in play style between a nose tackle and a three technique, and you expect them to test differently. And it's very, very evident when you're looking at Raz where those guys are, because those nose tackles don't test well hardly at all. Um, whereas the pass rushing interior guys, they tend to test extremely well um, in everywhere except size. So I didn't expect those trends to stand out as much as they do. Um, and I'm hoping this offseason to build out um, additional position types so that we can try to isolate some of those things a little bit better and see if there's any trends that develop from that. Do you think we need to think about positions differently as we as we cover the draft? Because I, I was just thinking about this as we were doing our pre-draft process on the podcast, like talking about edge rushers. You know, when I first start, started following the draft, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, nobody talked about edge rushers. It, it was a position that existed in the NFL, but nobody thought about them as their own thing. 
does the data on testing, you know, you talk about nose tackles and, and three technique guys show that we need to be thinking about things more in terms of roles than positions? I think that's a really big part of it. And I'm hoping that when I get this built out this off season, that we'll, that we'll really start to see those trends. Um, but we can't look at any position as a traditional position anymore. And I think it, it's, it's much more universal than we think of because we talk about edge and then, of course, we have uh, three, four defensive ends, and you could look at a right edge as its own position because that's a very specific position in some schemes. Um, outside linebacker as a pass rushing. There's, those are very specific roles, but there's some overlap there. Um, but even quarterback, fullbacks, there's different types of fullbacks, guys that are purely blockers versus guys who are going to actually be doing some receiving roles. Um, a lot of those things can be broken out more granularly and it's interesting to me to see what that's going to look like when we start building it out because i i don't think that we can tr look at those traditional positions anymore and think okay this guy is just a wide receiver because there is a huge difference between a guy like zay flowers and a guy like t higgins um, when it comes to playing the receiver position they don't play remotely similar and well, it, maybe it's a size thing. Yeah, you have T. Higgins and a guy like D.K. Metcalf, both bigger guys with longer arms. Neither of those guys play similar either, even though they have a similar body type. So there's a lot of individual positional breakdowns, and I'm wondering how granular that goes. Well, that's a good segue into a question I had from a listener, a, a guy that I work with pretty regularly in our podcast-specific Discord, also does a lot of work in data. And one of the things he asks about with relative athletics for a lot it's whether or not you've considered adding positional weights for drills that apply to one position more than another. For instance, like wide receivers, a 40-yard dash is going to matter more for them than it will for a defensive tackle, whatever kind of defensive tackle they are. How do you balance that sort of thing for for wanting to have a score that makes sense, but also recognizing the difference between those those positions? I don't currently, as I mentioned before, RAS was always meant to be something that's simple and contextualizes everything for somebody who just wants to get something at a glance. Um, but that stuff does have value. You know, the shuttle, the shuttle time is, is very important for offensive linemen. The cone time is very important for um, exterior pass rusher, rushers. I mentioned nose tackles. It's bench broad and cone for, for nose tackles and literally nothing else. Um, you know, those things are, they mean different things at different positions. Um, and right now I don't have any, I don't have any intention to change that for these, the regular RAS cards, but I do have the option available to build out a, something else, some other kind of weighted metric within it that uses the same type of techniques, but looks at it from a more weighted standpoint with a little bit more objectivity or subjectivity to it, to try to get, uh, something that maybe represents that position a little bit better. Um, but I haven't gotten too deep into that yet. Um, I'm, again, this is another thing that I'm hoping I can build. And I've, I've got 10 guys coming in to help me with this stuff. So hopefully one of them guys can help me build that out. Speaking of these larger trends, I guess within the league itself, have you heard from anyone in the NFL where your work is being used or something maybe derivative of your work is being used? I bring this up a lot. Um, you know, NFL teams don't use RAS. Um, they use something that is similar to it. Many teams anyway use something that is similar to it. RAS is a very helpful analog for fans and media to the types of metrics that NFL teams use. They have their own metrics. They have their they have access to data that we don't have access to. Um, they do individual tests for players that we may never get any kind of um, numbers for. They have access to all these things that we don't have access to, and they have their own metrics with dedicated analytics teams. 
Uh, RAS is a helpful analog for what those teams do in their analytics departments when they're looking at player testing. Uh, but they don't use RAS specifically. At least none of them have told me. Now, I know the NFL scouts do, um, at least to get an idea of where a player's athleticism is, uh, because I've they have told me. Uh, but I don't think any NFL scouting departments do. I don't think any teams officially use it or anything like that. It's funny you mentioned the the different numbers that teams may have on guys because that's something that comes up, it seems, every year, especially with the Packers because they, they like to do some private workouts with guys. And one mm-hmm. of the things they mentioned this year with Jaden Reed, uh, their second-round receiver, is that while he ran a four four five at the Combine, they had him in the in the four threes, the mid-4.3s threes to, to upper 4.3s. And that's that's different. That would change his score if you're just mm-hmm. looking at it from a, a relative athletic score perspective, but we don't have access to that data, like you said. Yeah, and that's actually part of why I added a calculator on the page, because some of those numbers do eventually leak out, and we hear like, oh, yeah, he ran a this or whatever in a player test. Um, I have a calculator on every player page now so that fans can go in and be like, I wonder what his score would have been if we used those numbers instead. You can go look that up. Um, I do know the Packers are one of those teams that use their own internal numbers from um, individual workouts a bit more prevalently than other teams do. Um, back when they drafted Jay Sternberger, that was one of the big things is that he had tested significantly better for them than he did when he actually tested um, publicly. So I, I know they're a team that very heavily values their own internal testing for everything more than anything else. So even if a guy doesn't test as well, like you mentioned, Jaden Reed, um, it's likely that for them, he tested significantly better. That's something that even dates back to like the Aaron Rodgers era. Apparently they had him running almost a full 10th better on the 40 yard dash than he did at the combine. And that's even, yeah, he was a, he was a pretty good mover early in his career. He was, he, he really was. And that's something I think that has actually declined a little bit and makes, well, one of my colleagues at Acme Packing Company, Paul Noonan has written about that fairly extensively. Like you start wondering if the legs are going because you see the mobility, but that's an entirely different question. And neither of us have to worry professionally about Aaron Rodgers anymore. You know, writing about, <laughs> writing about the Lions or the Packers, not our problem anymore. Good riddance to bad rubbish, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, so I had a couple questions from uh, some colleagues and from some listeners here that maybe take our conversation a little bit further afield, but uh, I'd like to dive into those now. Uh, what do you think, this is from a listener, about the Vikings drafting zero players with an 8-plus relative athletic score? Do you think that's a coincidence, or is that a budding trend as some teams try to maybe move away from those athletic metrics? I think the Vikings draft was interesting, not just because they didn't draft anybody that, that had an elite score, but they did last year. They drafted plenty of guys that were elite-tier athletes last year. Um, Jordan Addison is a really interesting player because he tested at USC. I don't know if you guys had a chance to look at the the field conditions during the USC Fresno state and UCLA pro days, but they had those guys out measuring in essentially a a hurricane type weather condition. I mean, it was the, the fields were flooded and it was very windy and rainy. Um, You know, he, he didn't test as well in the agility drills at his pro day than, than people had probably hoped, but it wasn't exactly ideal in terms of field conditions. Um, I think that the Vikings have, um, they, they, they're what I recall, I refer to as, as a a threshold team. So they have thresholds that they like, like guys to meet. It's less about the overall athletic profile than it is. Do they meet a specific threshold in individual areas? The Patriots are probably the most well-known for having this type of thing. Um, they have very specific things that they want people to meet. And if they meet those things, they don't really care about some of the other, other metrics. So I think that that's what the tight, the, the Vikings are doing. We're still kind of new in, in their general manager to get an idea of what his trends are looking like. 
But that would be my guess is that they have some kind of specific thing that they're looking for. And as long as guys hit that, they don't really care about the other stuff. I see a lot of people, especially uh, among people who follow the Packers, worry about relative athletic scores, kind of this be all end all thing that we, you know, worship at the altar of RAS. I think somebody even put it that way. And I don't think, well, just guessing, I wouldn't say that you would even say it's a be all end all, but how would you say that fans should look at balancing relative athletic score versus somebody like something like what the, the Vikings did here taking, you know, I guess what the, the old school guys would say are football players. Yeah. And it should never be used as a be all end all. And I, I think that in both cases, both for the with the Packers draft with high RAS guys and with how the Vikings did in this year when they didn't draft any high RAS guys, what you're really looking for is what translates from their testing to tape. And if you have a guy that tested extremely well, he's an elite level athlete in every area, you go watch him on tape. Is that what you're seeing when you go watch him? Is Are you seeing a guy who's super fast, explosive, super agile, or is, is that not showing up? Because that's, that's what you're really looking for is does that translate to tape? And the same thing is true with the Vikings. If they have a guy who didn't test out as an elite athlete, you go back to the tape and you say, well, what's, what's missing there? Am, am I wrong for thinking he's a better athlete than what he tested? Or are the Vikings onto something here? Maybe, maybe there was some other factor involved. Um, like, for instance, the the weather thing for Jordan Addison's pro day testing. Um, you know, there's there's always more to it. You never want to look at it as the only thing. You sh- it should never be the only thing. Um, I sometimes joke about tight ends with that because, as I mentioned, there just aren't any examples of low testing tight ends. Uh, but I try to convince myself that a guy's going to make it every year. You know, there's, there's always that opportunity. Some of my favorite players in terms of Raz are guys that didn't test well because it's interesting to find out why they still had NFL success, because if it's not an injury related, um, like Darius Leonard from the Colts had injured himself during his 40 yard dash. So his testing wasn't quite as high. Um, If it's not injury related and they tested poorly, are they just not a good tester? Do they just not take the process seriously or do they win in a different way? Um, My favorite player to go back to on that is Anquan Bolden, who isn't super fast, isn't super explosive, but he just has such a knack getting the ball out of the air and fighting people for it in the air and that's such a translatable skill at the nfl level you know you you throw up a ball and somebody has to fight him for it they're losing that fight every single time because anquan bolden was so good at that he had that thing that he was so good at and it's interesting to find guys like that that have some other way that they win Um, it's just trying to find that and when you like to evaluate players like i do that's really fun it's fun to try to find those things Looking for the exceptions, I think, is always going to be rewarding. And, and Bolden was one of those guys early for me, like you know, it's 20 years ago now that he started his NFL career. But you look at him even as a rookie, 1,300 yards, and you're like, what is, what's going on here? How does this guy who ran a 4.7 do this? And we didn't have the same data or even film access then, but just it was fascinating to try to solve that question. It is. It's a lot of fun. I remember in, in training camp when he was with the Lions, whenever he would catch a ball, it was like a gunshot going off at training camp because he, he's just so powerful with his hands that he would just snatch the ball out of the air. And I was like, I don't think it's supposed to sound like that. <laughs> Speaking of the Lions, this is from an Acme Packing Company colleague, and I cleaned up the language on this one a little bit. But he said, <laughs> what's the deal with the Lions draft? Uh, like overall, I don't know. They, they, I, I had several running jokes that they just kept drafting guys based on what I was joking about, um, <laughs> because they went, they went low value at every position or what is perceived as low value anyway, um, for, for almost every position that they drafted. 
Uh, they drafted a running back 12th overall. They drafted a linebacker in the first round. Then they went tight end safety. Um, you know, these are very low value positions. Um, they drafted a third round quarterback. Anybody that's followed me for any length of time knows my opinion on third round quarterbacks. Um, but it's, it's, I'm, I'm interested to see how this works out because there's some risk to doing things that are perceived as low value, right? Because if they work out, but they aren't as valuable of a position, um, individually, maybe that doesn't net you as much of a positive gain as a team than you were hoping for. And maybe that isn't the type of gamble that you want to take with the type of picks that you have, but maybe collectively, I mean, we're, we're not talking about one or two high picks. They had many high picks in this draft um, and they had traded down to even gain an additional high pick, you know, maybe collectively getting a running back tight end uh, linebacker safety nose tackle as your first five picks um, collectively improves the team a lot more than gambling on a corner and uh, a, an interior pass rusher um, and not getting as many picks out of it. So I think they're, they're gambling that a bunch of lower value picks with higher quality players at those positions will net higher positives for the team than taking gambles on higher positions. And maybe one of them doesn't work out. And now it's, it's less overall value. From another Acme Packing Company colleague, have you thought about adding a flying 20 to card since it's maybe a little bit more applicable to space players? Um, not to the cards, but it is coming to the, to the player pages. We are going to have so much stuff on the player pages. It's going to it's going to be annoying for some people. <laughs> We're adding a lot to the player pages. Um, uh, player age is going to be coming. Uh, the wingspan, as you mentioned, the flying 20, we're going to have uh, force velocity is going to be added MPH during the run. Um, a bunch of different things are going to be added as data points to the player pages, um, but not to the individual cards. There's just not a lot of real estate on the cards. I want to hang a name on this question because I want you to be able to follow up with him later in case you, you have additional information you want to supply here. But Tyler Brook of Acme Packing Company says, do you have the best mustache in media? Many are asking. <laughs> Uh, I, I've been told that, uh, I, I don't know for sure. Um, I, I like to think so. And I'm, I'm hoping to keep this one going as long as I can. It hasn't started bothering me yet and nobody's given me a reason to shave it. So it's sticking around. Is facial hair something you'd consider adding to RAS cards? I, I think, uh, the Vikings already have facial hair on their, on their RAS cards. Um, so do, um, I think it's Washburn. There's a couple of teams that already have facial hair on there. Eastern Kentucky has the Colonels. Some guys have it. Well, that's um, true. I hadn't thought of it that additional, way. Additional points for the cards, maybe. I don't know. I, I think it just makes it look nicer. Absolutely. Uh, so finally, that's my last question for you. But the most important one maybe is how can people find you and more importantly, support the work that you're doing? Yeah, the website is ras.football. Hopefully that's easy to remember. Um, you can go and look up any player from the last 20 four years, 25 years, whatever we're on since 1987. Um, I think we're over 20,000 players with actual scores now, um, almost 24,000 players in the database. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at MathBomb. Uh, you can find me on the, uh, the Stunt also at MathBomb. Um, I'm going to be expanding my social media presence a little bit this offseason, but I'm not sure as to what. So I'll be posting where those things are also on my Twitter profile and on the website. So uh, you can keep in track of me there. And if you like doing mock drafts, you can go over to profootballnetwork.com slash mock draft and run the mock draft simulator over there. I, I also run that um, and do all the algorithm stuff for that and all the testing and changing things up with that. So another good place that you can find me. 
Um, I look forward to all of you yelling at me about how great the Packers are. A big thanks to Kent for giving us a few minutes of his time today and for continuing to do great work on making relative athletic score the indispensable part of draft coverage that it is today. You can find his work again at ras.football and be sure to support him however you can if you find his work valuable. That's all I've got for you on this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn helps all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I've been your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.